book of Exodus, book of Exodus, chapter 30, Exodus chapter 30. <clears throat> I need to remind you that on December 22nd, we are going forward with our 365 days of Christmas offering. As the pastor told you, we're trying to collect the biggest offering in the history of Glenville. Amen? Amen. On that day. God has been good to you, has he not? Yes, if he has not been good, then you just be quiet. But has God been good to you? Yes. He has been good. The text we're using to uh, guide us in this endeavor is Deuteronomy 16, 17. When you get some time, take a look at it. It simply says that we should give back unto God in proportion to what he has given us. Now, quite frankly, you cannot do that. Christ died on the cross for you. And even if you were to die for him, it would not equal the measure or the amount that he has done for you. But the one thing that we can do is that we can give him what he has already given to us. We don't mind coming to church. We don't mind volunteering and giving up our time. But the one thing that we seem to be tight on these days is our money. And God wants all of us. Amen. We want it to be that on that day, it will just be like in the day of Moses, when he asked the people for instruments and for materials to build the tabernacle, that the people were so, so happy to give to God that Moses had to outstretch his hand and say, stop, don't bring anymore. So if God has done anything for you on December 22nd, remember that date, write it down somewhere, think about, pray about how you want to give back to God and give him in proportion to how he has blessed you. Amen? Amen. Exodus chapter 30. NIV version. Here's what the Bible says. Make an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. It is to be square, a cubit long, and a cubit wide, and two cubits high. Its horns of one piece with it. Overlay the top and all the sides and the horns with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. Make two gold rings for the altar below the molding, two on each of the opposite sides, to hold the poles used to carry it. Make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Put this altar in front of the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant Law before the atonement cover. That is, over the tablets of the Covenant Law where I will meet with you. Verse 7, Aaron must burn fragrant incense. What kind of incense? <clears throat> On the altar every morning when he tends the lamps, he must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight. So incense will burn regularly before the Lord for generations to come. Do not offer on this altar any other incense or any other burnt offering or grain offering and do not pour a drink offering on it. I want to speak to you in the subject briefly when Jesus prays, when Jesus prays. Of course, we're going forward in our series today in the sanctuary. And the next article of furniture that we come to is the altar of incense. We've passed by the brazen altar. We've passed by the laver, which has to do with mirrors and looking introspectively. We've passed by the lampstand, which tells us that we are the light of the world. And it is our job to tell the world of the good news of Jesus Christ. We have now passed by the table of showbread, which reminds us that Jesus is everything that we need, everything that we need to survive. God is our sustainer and our provider. And now we are in the most holy place, the holy place, the place of ministry, and really the place that exemplifies what we are supposed to be doing in this world, and we come now to this altar of incense. 
The first thing that we recognize about this altar is this, is that it is placed squarely in front of the veil, separating the holy place from the most holy place. Most scholars and most theologians and most preachers will tell you, and I'm sure it's in your mind today, that the altar of incense actually represents prayer. Amen. And this may go without saying for you, but because I'm preaching today and I have to say and I can't take for granted that you might miss this. If you want to get close to God, brothers and sisters, you need to pray. Nothing else will do it for you. I don't care how many times you read your Bible and I don't care how many times you come to church. The Christian life, what is essential to the Christian life is prayer. Any good relationship cannot thrive without communication. The one thing that is separating the holy place from a most holy place experience is prayer. Priests had to pass by that altar of incense. He had to play with the coals and light it on fire and make sure that it was burning night and at day. We need to be praying. Amen. Let me tell you how important prayer is as well. It does not necessarily matter how you pray. You don't always have to get down on your knees or close your eyes or say the Our Father prayer or even pray some eloquent prayer that really means nothing at the end of the day because we are regurgitating what we've heard before. Oh, our God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God that dwells high above the firmament and looks low. At the end of the day, if it's not personal to you, it's really not a legitimate prayer. And God expects us to pray. And if you do not pray, brothers and sisters, you cannot get close to God. It's just as simple as that. So it matters not how you pray. The fact is you just need to pray. And the example that I gave this morning, I think, is relevant today as well. Even if you were in a nightclub tonight, filled with all the secular music of the world, and you were drinking and you were smoking and doing all manner of things, If you knelt down in the club while all of this is going on and in the sincerity of your heart, you talk to God, you are better off than the person who comes into church and has no communication with him. Prayer is for everybody at any time or at any place in your Christian experience. So reminded of Peter when he was walking on the water that day and Jesus told him to come step out and he came out on the water. And as he began to sink, he didn't say some eloquent prayer. The truth is he didn't have time. All he said was the best prayer that he knew and probably the best prayer for us to pray when we are in trouble. Lord, save me. And the Bible says immediately at that moment. Without delay, Christ's hand shot from his side and picked him up and saved his very life. Oh, we need to pray. Well, that's not only the most important thing, how the altar is placed right before the veil, which separates the holy from the most holy. What is also important is that how many times the priest actually visited the altar of incense throughout the day. The Bible says that he was supposed to go there morning and evening and make sure that the the incense was still burning. The truth is the incense was supposed to be burning all throughout the day for a 24 hour period. There was never supposed to be a time when the incense was not burning. Does not the Bible say in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 that we ought to pray without ceasing? At every moment of the day, you should be praying. 
if you are a Christian, it's really not that hard, brothers and sisters. And I'm not talking about that little uh, uh, flippant prayer that we do. We wake up in the morning and we go out and we're walking. But as, as time goes on, Jesus. <coughs> Jesus. <coughs> I'm not talking about a short uh, prayer that does not mean anything to you. While you are walking throughout the day, you should be thinking about God. How am I going to order my steps? What's the next action that I take? I tell you right now, all throughout the day, I am talking to God all day long. Full-length conversations, not with myself. I'm not crazy. I talk to God. The Bible says we ought to pray without ceasing. Well, that's not really the most important thing either. The Bible says in verse 7, Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar Every morning when he tends to the lamps. If we move to verse 30, let's go. Verse 34, verse 34, verse 34. Listen to what the Lord says here. Then the Lord said to Moses, take fragrant spices, gum, resin, onica, galbanum, and pure frankincense in all in equal amounts. And make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it into powder and place it in front of the ark of the covenant law in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. Do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy to the Lord. Whoever makes incense like it to enjoy its fragrance must be cut off from their people. Now, we've noticed throughout this sanctuary series that our God is a God of order. Amen. He's a very specific God. And every time he tells them to build a part of the sanctuary or he tells them to fashion it or dress it, God tells them exactly how he wants it. God, our God is very particular about everything in life because he does not change. And so God told uh, Moses, listen, when you make the incense for the sanctuary, I want you to make it this way. First of all, it needs to be fragrant, but not only does it need to be fragrant, I need you to make it the exact way that I tell you to do it. Take this group of spices in this amount, put it together and use it for the ministry and for the worship of me, God says. But not only that, God goes even further and he says, listen, this stuff is not to be used for personal use. This is not the type of incense or potpourri you just put in your bathroom to stay there so people think your house smells good. No, 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 no. You, 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 this is for me and for me alone. God said, I don't want anybody else using this incense. In fact, he got so specific with it that he says if anybody uses this thing for personal use, they ought to be cut off from the children of Israel. Well, let's move a little bit further. We'll come back. The priest. We've recognized that throughout this series, the priest represents Christ, does he not? And so really and truly, it is Christ who is going to this altar of incense. It is him who is who is stoking the coals and, and, and lighting the incense and making sure that it is burning day in and day out. It is symbolic of what Christ is doing for us. And I have proof from the Bible. The Bible says in Hebrews 725 that Christ ever lives to make intercession for us. Thank you, Lord. Y'all didn't even catch that. And Romans 8.34 says that Christ is always interceding before the Father in the heavenly sanctuary for us. 
Now, I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but that makes me very happy. Because at the end of the day, what that symbolizes is that Christ is praying for me. Oh, Jesus. It's one thing to say my dad is praying for me. It's one thing to say that my mother is praying for me. But the Bible says Christ is praying for us. In other words, he wants us to make it. He wants us to overcome. He wants us to win. God is on our team. I told this example today, and I've told it times before. I was in high school, and I wasn't very good on the basketball team. Couldn't jump as high. Couldn't dribble as well. And I told you guys this morning, actually, I kind of sucked during that time in my life. It's gotten better. Trust me. Now, I remember there was time I just wanted to quit, man. Just give up. Dude, I don't have time for this. I want to do something else with my life. I'm not getting that much PT. What is the point of me sitting on the bench with my legs crossed, and I'm not going to get into the game? Went to my dad. I said, Dad, listen, I, I'm about to quit this team. It's not really worth it. I don't want to go forward with it. And my dad, I remember this day, man, funny guy. He looked at me square in my eyes, and he said to me, son, the truth is you're not that good. You can't jump as high. You can't dribble as well as your friend Eric can. You can't rebound like your friend Devin can. You definitely can't shoot as well. The truth of the matter is, you're really, John, you're not that good. Of course, in my mind, I'm wondering, now, where in the world is he going with this? <laughs> and then he said, but son, you are my son. You bear my name. And I would not trade you for anybody else in the world. And so just knowing that my dad was in the audience during game day, even while my legs were crossed and I was not getting in the game, just knowing that I had one fan in the audience rooting for me to make it made all the difference in my life. And here's what I want to tell you, brothers and sisters. Even though it seems rough right now, whatever you're going through in your life, you have to know and you have to believe Christ wants you to make it. And it's very hard. It's very hard. It's very hard. Especially while we are in our circumstance and when we can't see the end, uh, the end and we cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel, it's hard to say, man, we, we may as well just give up hope. We may as well just throw in the white towel and, and or just say like, like Fred Sanford used to say, oh, this is the big one. It's over. <laughs> but there's something comforting about knowing that, that heaven has a different perspective than we do. Christ is praying for us. He wants us to make it. And you have to know all things work together for good. Okay. Okay. Well, as I was studying this thing this week, I thought about prayer. And I thought about Christ representing that priest. And he's actually the one who's praying. A question came to my mind. What happens when Jesus prays? And more than that, what prayers could Jesus offer that would not be answered? Now, the Bible says that the prayers of the righteous availeth much. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know any righteous people. None of us are righteous. None of us are holy. The best we have to give God is nothing more than filthy rags. Jesus was righteous. Am I right about that? 
which means his prayers must avail much. But not only is he righteous, the Bible says he's God in the flesh. And so we even have to ask ourselves another theological conundrum. When Jesus prays, who is he praying to? Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't act like I'm the only one. Huh. What happens when Jesus prays? And is there a prayer that Jesus could pray that would not be answered? And I would submit to you, yes. Because I think today that we can hinder the prayers of God. I feel as though we can stand in between what God wants to do with his perfect will. I'm going to help somebody today. Well, God is specific, is he not? What I've discovered is that not only do we not pray enough, we, we don't even know how to pray. And we don't pray the way God wants us to pray. We don't pray the way Jesus would have prayed. And some of the things that Christ himself prayed for, we have blocked because our prayers don't line up with God's prayers. Now, here's the thing I really want you to latch on to and sink your teeth in today. Before we pray and before we ask God for anything, maybe it's best that we begin to live out the prayers that Jesus has already prayed and he expects us to fulfill. Now, sometimes this is just me. You don't got to agree with me today, but I'm going to speak it like I feel it and like I think it. Sometimes I think we use prayer as a way out. Let me help somebody. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes I think we use prayer to delay what God wants us to do. Some things, brothers and sisters, you don't even have to pray about. Do you know why? God has already spoken. It is an insult to God. When we keep asking him about something, when God has already made up his mind. Let me give you an example. You don't ever have to pray about lying. God says, don't lie. Amen. <laughs> you don't ever have to pray about giving your tithe. God has already spoken on that thing, and he's not going to change his mind about it. Sometimes I think we just like to deter ourselves and just delay what God is already trying to do. I don't know if y'all with me. Should I make this thing plain today? <laughs> Somebody comes to us, they'll ask us about a certain situation, and we'll say, well, you know, I'm just praying, waiting on the word from the Lord. God's already sent 10, 12 people to tell you you should not be doing that. He has shown you signs and wonders in the sky. He has shown you wet and dry fleece. He has told you exactly what you are supposed to do. And sometimes I think because we do not like the answer of what God is saying, we go back to our knees over and over again. Or we just like to tell people, oh, I'm praying about it. When God has already said what he wants. God has spoken. Let the church say amen. For me, it's an insult to God. When we read his word day in and day out, we see what God says. God even tells us how to manage conflict in the word. He says if you have a problem with somebody or somebody has a problem with you, you go to them. 
and we will wait and we will play around and we'll pray, well, God, I don't know what I should do. God says go. And sometimes for us, we don't need to pray about anything. The next thing we need to do is get up and move. God has spoken. It's an insult to him. And I think today, on the opposite side of that, I have to say this. I think the reason that most of us don't pray is because we really don't want to hear God's voice. Because the truth of the matter is, if you hear God's voice, now a line is drawn in the sand. <laughs> there's, no more play, there's no more walking on the fence anymore. There's no more playing in the river on the bank anymore. Now you have got to make a decision. Because every time God speaks, something has to change. Something has to happen. Something has to be destroyed or something has to be created. Simple as that. God spoke this world into existence, did he not? With his words, he flung the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky. He literally created the world with his words. And some of us do not want to hear God's voice. Because if God speaks into our lives, then we have literally got to make a choice. We've got to move. We no longer have any more excuses for ourselves. Well, today, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to use, I don't want you to stop praying. And I definitely don't want you to use prayer as an excuse either. Truth of the matter is God has already spoken to us. And one thing that my mother always used to tell me when I was younger, she was like, son, you're very smart. You got a lot of book smarts, but listen, son, common sense goes a long way. God already said what he wants. It's an insult to him. The fact of the matter is the Bible says that he's Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If God spoke it into existence, it will never change. He is not a man that he should lie. And for some of us today, God has told us exactly what we should do. He has told us where we should go, how we should do it, and when we should do it. But we are delaying the change that should happen immediately in our lives because we are too afraid. Okay, you don't believe me. I got to help you. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. If I say it, you won't believe me. But if you read the word for yourself, maybe you'll get it. Matthew chapter 4. Verse 1. The Bible says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was indeed hungry. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point in the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for is it not written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift, up in their, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 8, again, the devil took him into a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Now, let me ask you a question. Throughout these scriptures, did Jesus pray at all? He did not pray. Do you know why he did not pray? He did not necessarily need to pray whether he needed to do what the devil said or not. He already knew the word of God. God already said what he wanted. 
And so when the devil tempted him, he did not have to pray about it. All he had to say was, man shall not live by bread alone. Oh, help me, God. God's word has already said, God's word has already spoken. It is plain to us. It is clear to us. Listen to what Jesus says. Man shall not live by bread alone. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It is also written, away from me, Satan. Uh, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Some things, brothers and sisters, I got to nail this on the head, you do not have to pray about. And I kind of feel like we waste time for what God wants to do in our life when we already know the word. God ain't never going to change his mind about adultery. You can believe that. He ain't going to never change his mind about the Sabbath. He will never change his mind about his word. What is left for you now is to get up and move and fulfill what God has already said. Okay. Some things we don't have to pray about. God has already spoken. Well, I believe today that God's word is a blueprint and a map. It's a guidepost. It's a signpost for us. It tells us where to go. And also, many theologians will tell you this phrase. It is the standard of faith and practice. Amen? Amen. We can trust God's word. Well, I also believe that this word is the express will of God. In other words, it's what God wants, and it's what God wants to see happen in the world. If that is the case, then you don't have to believe me today. I believe that this book is the prayer of God. It is what God wants to see in our lives. (laughs) This is God praying that you will become like this. This is God praying that you will change your life so much that it will line up with his word. This is God getting down on his hands and knees and pleading that you will get your life together according to these sacred pages. You don't have to believe me. These are the prayers of God. What he wants us to be. Oh, help me, Lord. We have to begin living out these prayers first before we begin to pray and ask God for other things. We have to learn first to do what God has already said before we should ask for anything else. Because we don't pray the way Jesus prayed anymore. And we have left some of Jesus's prayers unanswered. Can I help you out today? Won't take long. We don't have that much time anyway. John 17. Let's go to a few texts and I'm going to get out your way. John 17. (laughs) Oh, this is good. John 17, verse 20. NIV version. NIV. This is Jesus praying. Jesus prays this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. That they may be what? Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, 
may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and then you in me so that they may be brought to contemplate, brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Here we go. Here's a fundamental difference between the way Jesus prays and the way we pray today. Christ prays for unity, but we pray for uniformity. Help me, Lord. Christ prays that we all may be one. We pray that we all may be the exact same. What we pray for is a church full of robots that come off the Adventist assembly line and we all cook veggie meat the same way. We all believe the exact same thing. We're all just cookie-cutter Christians. All made the exact same way. But I have to tell you today, that's not what Jesus prayed for. Christ prayed that we may be one. He prayed for unity. Oh, y'all not with me today. Christ prayed that he would have people from all different backgrounds, all different cultures, all different experiences under one roof. Did not Jesus say that when he came, his house shall be called a house of prayer for how many? For all people. Christ prayed that his, this place would be IHOP, not the International House of Pancakes, but the International House of Prayer, where anybody who is struggling through anything could come into the house of worship, regardless of what they've been through, regardless of what they've done, regardless of what they are doing right now, and they can talk to God. What I've realized is that we've kind of false advertised this thing. We tell people that they should come to this place because this is where God is. And God's not even here because we have moved him out steadily. We have edged him out with all the rules and the regulations that we give people. When Christ says he wants everybody to come into the house. And as I said this morning. Christ loves homosexuals. Yes, he does. Amen. He died for them as well. Christ died for every person that has ever lived in this world. And we have no right to try and change somebody and make them cookie cutter Christians just because we feel more comfortable if everybody's like us. Oh, I know I'm telling the truth now. Huh? Yeah. Did not Jesus say in Mark 2, 17, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The majority of Jesus's ministry, he was not hanging around the righteous people, was not hanging around the religious elite. He was going into the avenues and the, and the byways and seeking those who were lost and decrepit and sinful and really had no hope for their lives. That's what the church is. 
did not pray for uniformity, brothers and sisters. He prayed that when we come into this place, we may all be of the same mindset. And that mindset is simply this. We are all sinners saved by grace. And had it not been for God on Calvary, none of us would be here. We have nothing to boast about, Paul says. We are sinners saved by grace. You ought not get mad at somebody simply because they sin different than the way you do. We all sin. We all mess up. We all got mistakes. We all trip and fall. But Christ says that he wants everybody in his house together. Even his word says that the wheat and the tares are supposed to grow together. Oh, help me, Lord. I'll take one from Pastor Bird. Brother says that, listen, (laughs) we ought to be catching fish. We don't clean the fish before we catch it. You don't believe me today. Luke 22. Mm -hmm. Luke 22. Mm, Help me, Jesus. Luke 22. Verse 39, Bible says Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew then about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing. Take this cup from me, yet not my will, oh, but let your will be done. Here's our fundamental difference number two. We pray for our wants. Christ only prays for the Father's will. We only pray for those things that we want desperately in the world. Christ prays that the Father's will will always be done in the world. Our prayers are simply this. Gimme, gimme, I need, can you spare me? (laughs) Give it to me, God. I want this, and I want that, and we sound like children at the end of the day. This is what I want. And that is what I want. But if we were to really look at the prayers of Jesus and this one specifically, catch the context, brothers and sisters. Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he is about to die, Sister Carol. He's about to go down into the pit. Ellen White says he could not see beyond the tomb. He knows that his death is going to be horrible and gruesome. They are literally going to put a spike, not a nail, a spike into his hands. And in his feet, they are going to whip him all night long. They are going to put a crown of thorns on his feet. And Christ, in desperation, kneels down in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says because he is so desperate for this thing and he is so stressed out, his sweat are like great drops of blood that are forming on his forehead. And he prays, God, take this cup from me. If there is any other way for your people to be saved, Do it. Let me go. 
Christ prayed that he would be delivered from that hour. But then he finishes his prayer with these powerful words. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Christ wanted to be set free from the cross if there was any other way. But he made sure to end his prayer by saying, God, if it's not your will, then I don't want it. Oh, Jesus. Picture yourself, picture yourself, picture yourself. You're in a desert somewhere. Thirsty and you've been hungry for days. You're wandering by yourself. (laughs) And as you come to a certain spot, you see this huge table filled with all the food that you like. And I'm from the South, so clearly that's macaroni and cheese. That's rice. Not necessarily veggie burger, maybe fried chicken. Collard greens. And all that good stuff that we cannot get enough of. You know I'm telling the truth. But God comes to you and says, do not eat. Do not touch it. Do not partake. Do not even go near it. And if we are true to our God and true to our Christian experience, brothers and sisters, we will have the sincerity of heart to say, God, not my will, but your will be done. Even when you want it with everything that is within you, we should always end our prayers with nevertheless, oh God. Not what I want, but what you want for my life. And can I tell you a secret, brothers and sisters? Half the things that we want would send us to hell anyway. This finds its way into every sermon I preach. I got to say it, though. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes our prayers. And literally, he translates them into language that God can understand. Because our prayers are so foolish in the ears of God. They are literally gibberish. The things that we pray for would not bring us close to God, but take us so far away from him. And God knows if he were to give you that new car, or he were to give you that new job, or even if he were to give you that husband and wife right now, you would not remain close to him. God knows it. And so he's not going to give it to you at that point. So we always ought to end our prayers, God, listen, I know that you know what you're doing. Let your will be done. But you don't believe me, Proverbs chapter 30. We're going to stay in the word today. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 30. Hmm. Verse 7. Oh, help me, Lord. <clears throat> I love this prayer. Here's what this brother says. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me and give me neither poverty nor riches. But give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. This brother says, God, I don't want you to make me rich and I do not want you to make me poor. Because if you make me rich, God, 
then I'll hold to the things that you gave me and I'll forget about the giver and I'll focus on the gift. But God also, don't make me poor because then you're going to force me to blaspheme your name and steal. So what I pray for, God, just give me enough to survive. Just give me my daily bread. Just give me what you think I am worth. Just give me what you know I only need to survive from this day. I'm not talking about tomorrow. I'm not talking about next year. Just give me enough for today. Let your will be done in my life. You ought to be praying that prayer, brothers and sisters. (laughs) You ought to be praying like Jesus. Nevertheless, let thy will be done. All right, here's the last one. Back to Luke 22. Luke 22. This is a good one. Uh, Luke 22, verse 31. Here's another prayer that Jesus prays that we often do not pray. Christ prays for unity. We pray for uniformity. Christ prays that for the Father's will to be done, we pray for our wants to be done. Here's the last one. Verse 31. Simon, Simon. (laughs) Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But Simon, my brother, I have prayed for you. Simon, I have prayed that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. We pray for freedom from all of our problems. Christ prays that our faith will not fail. Y'all ain't with me. Oh, help me, Lord. We pray that we'll just never have another bad day in our lives. Christ prays that in the midst of your struggle, your faith won't fail. And for me, sometimes it's almost an insult to God as well when we pray to God and ask him, God, I don't want any more troubles in my life. I don't want any more problems or circumstances in my life. The Bible says that with every temptation, God gives us a way of escape anyhow. And even on top of that, brothers and sisters, God promises you not only good things, he promises you that in this world you shall have trouble. God says you will go through trouble. You will have it in your life. You will not make it through this world without having some type of problem that you cannot handle. It is unbiblical for us to pray that we just have freedom from all the troubles in the world. Christ does not pray for that. He prays that in the midst of your struggle, your faith will still maintain its integrity. I look at this text and I'm thinking... Well, Jesus, wait a minute now. Why didn't you just ask Satan not to sift him in the first place? We could have avoided this whole conversation right there. If you ask for it, it it has to be done. But Christ says because we live in a world of sin. And because some of the mistakes that we, some things we get ourselves into ourselves, we will not make it through this world without experiencing trouble. We cannot pray for freedom from problems, brothers and sisters. We have to pray that our faith will not fail. And at the end of the day, sifting is really not that bad. You know what sifting is? It's God trying to make you better than what you are. And sometimes he allows Satan to do it to make you better. 
Sifting is simply the process of separating the wheat from the tares. That's all sifting is. And if God has to allow me to go through a few things so that when he comes, I meet him in peace, I accept that. If God has to allow me to lose some things in this world so that I can be saved when he comes, I receive that. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. But I choose to do it God's way. Christ prays that your faith will not fail. Well, here's another thing, and I, I threw this out this morning, so I may, well, may as well throw it out to you as well. Hmm. Pertains to how we pray about people. We will see a young woman with a short skirt on and those hoop earrings that y'all hate. Hmm. Hmm. We will see some brother who is tatted up pants hanging below the waist and we will pray that he gets his act together and he'll be like us. But really, what you should be praying is that his faith won't fail. <clears throat> oh, God. You ought to be praying that even though he seems a little messed up and he's a little misguided in life and he does not know where he's going, and he may not be paying attention to the message during church. He's texting and tweeting, and it seems like he does not have it all together. You ought to pray that in the midst of everything, his faith will not fail. That somehow, some way, he will not lose his belief in God. Oh, y'all not with me today. Now, I think today we're not praying anything close to what Christ was praying in his day. If he is our example, and we call ourselves Christians, which literally mean followers of Christ, not only should we be praying, we should be praying according to the prayers of Jesus, and we should be answering his prayers that he has already prayed by living it out in our lives. Some things you don't got to pray about. God has already spoken. All right. Can I tell them the story, Michelle? Thank you. Thank you. was a young preacher that came to town and it was not me. <coughs> came to a new church, got installed there, and of course on his installation Sabbath, he began to preach the house down. He went in on them, keeping it 100 and everything, preaching, preaching, preaching. Everybody was on their feet. People were speaking in tongues, little old ladies doing cartwheels down the aisles. Everybody Enjoyed that message. <clears throat> Preacher went to the door. People came by to shake his hand. Pastor, excellent message. We're so glad. We're so thankful that you're here. Next week came around. Pastor got into the pulpit, and he began to preach. And believe it or not, brothers and sisters, he began to preach the exact same message. <clears throat> the exact same way. <laughs> the same mannerisms. The same movements, the same text, the same everything. He preached the house down again. Of course, the people in the audience are like, wait a minute now, this is, you know, this is the same message that he preached last week. But they said, okay, he's young. He'll learn in time. So they let it go. Next week came around. Pastor gets into the pulpit. 
opens his Bible, they sing a few songs, he prays, he goes to the same text again, and he preaches the exact same message for the third week in a row. The exact same way that he preached it before. Of course, at this time, the church is saying, okay, now, this is enough. They, so they, they prompt the head elder. They tell him, elder, listen, go talk to the pastor and ask him what's going on with him. We can't take the same message every single week. <laughs> pastor goes to his study, sitting behind his desk, doing what he has to do. Elder comes to the door and looks at the pastor and says, pastor, um, you know, the people are kind of confused as to what you're doing. Um, you, you, you preach the same message three weeks in a row. What's going on? Pastor looks up from his desk at the elder and says to him, when you start living the first message, <clears throat> then I will preach another one. <clears throat> this is how I feel about God. We have enough on our plate already of what God has told us to do. Some of it is not even in God's word. For some of us, God has told you exactly what you need to do. God has spoken to you. He has sent signs and wonders. The only thing he has not done is held up a neon sign with instructions for you. And sometimes we are wasting our time praying for other things when God says we're praying for blessings. When God says you haven't lived what I told you in the first place. Blessings. How dare you ask for blessings? You can't handle blessings. God can't take you from point A to point B if you're not living right in point A. God can't work the miracle that you want him to work in your life if you're not even feeding and you're not digesting the stuff that he gave you in the first place. Take a moment right now and think about your life. I know it for me today. God has told me some things straight up. He has called me out by name and said, John, this is not right. You need to move on. You need to get up and walk away from this thing. And I have not done it because I, I, I said, oh, well, I'm praying about it. I'm still waiting on a, on a word from the Lord. He already said what he wants. Brothers and sisters today. Think about your life. Think about what Christ wants for your life. And implement that today. Because I declare that we are leaving some of the prayers of God himself unanswered. God has prayed into our lives. He has told us exactly what he wants from us. He has shown us everything that he could possibly show us. And sometimes when we pray and ask God for things, God's like, well, dude, what else do you want me to do? I, 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 what, do you want me to change my mind? I can't do that. I'm not a man that I should lie. What else do you want me to do? I have spoken already. Get up and move. Heads about, eyes are closed. Brothers and sisters, right now, I want you to think about this. 